If your litter box could talk, what would it say to you? Good morning, lovely day, isn't it? Or perhaps, what's up with all the clay dust and chemicals you're laying on me and the cat? If that's the case, consider World's Best Cat Litter. It's virtually dust-free, quick clumping, and lasts twice as long as clay litter. And because it's made from corn, it's chemical-free and a naturally safe choice. World's Best Cat Litter, the number one selling natural litter brand for a reason. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st Century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And as promised, we are back from our 167-hour hiatus. This is truly a different perspective, and I really am Kevin Randall. We are joined today by David Halperin. In the 1960s, David Halperin was a teenage ufologist. He grew up to become a professor of religious studies. His specialty, religious traditions of heavenly ascent and otherworldly journeys. He taught history of Judaism at the University of Northern Carolina at Chapel Hill from 1976 through 2000. He's published five books and numerous articles on Jewish mysticism and messiahism and one novel, Journal journal of a UFO investigator, which draws on his teenage dreams and fantasies, as well as the UFO scene of the early 1960s. The novel was published in 2011 by Viking Press and has been translated into Spanish, Italian, and German. Uh, David has a blog at www.davidhalpern.net, where he posts biweekly on UFOs, religion, and other subjects dear to his heart. He's working on a second novel, and on a nonfiction book, Intimate Alien, The Hidden Story of UFOs, in which he explores what UFOs, what's meant to him, and what they mean for us and our culture. He lives in North Carolina with his wife, Rose. David Halpern, welcome to A Different Perspective. I'm delighted to be here, Kevin. I'm going to take a moment here and explain how this all came about. I've been working on a book uh, for a publisher, and I was looking at other UFO landings, and Glassboro was one that came to mind, and the, the reason it came to mind is back in 1976 when the Project Blue Book files were declassified and sent to Maxwell Air Force Base, to the Air Force Archives, I had an opportunity to go through them. A friend of mine, Bob Cornett, and I went through the big index, and we wrote down every unidentified case. We wrote down the uh, cases that were 
uh, a photographic interest and those with physical evidence because we thought those were interested. We kept the names so we could put the names back in after they were all redacted by the Air Force. One of the things we looked at, it was a thick file, was the Glassboro UFO landing. So as I was doing research on that, I looked that up on the Internet and I came across your name and your website and sent you an email. Now, with all that background and remembering we don't have a lot of time right now, we'll have to take a break shortly. Um, Glassboro, I believe you investigated it personally. You talked to the witnesses. What did you learn? Uh, well, what I learned eventually is that there was no UFO there. It was a hoax. Uh, a student from Glassboro State College had dug a hole dug a few smaller holes, set up, put, sprinkled some chemicals in the holes, set, set a fire, broke a limb of a sassafras tree, and then he and a friend found two small boys who were fishing. This was on Saturday afternoon, September 4th, 1964, and told them that he had seen a glowing red object land. The boys told their father, who reported it, to the police. Uh, the news spread amazingly. Uh, there, I, I have clippings from all sorts of newspapers from New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Uh, WOR announced it on, uh, on its morning news. Uh, I went down there the following Saturday. I was 16 years old. Uh, I had procured a letter from a friend of mine who worked at a radio station saying I was a representative of the station, which was completely false. And uh, I, went in, I went into the police station, was greeted, was welcomed very warmly. Uh, they actually drove me out to the landing site, and I examined and photographed the holes met a very nice family who took me home for dinner and who put me in touch with the father of the two boys with whom I remained in contact for some months. You mean the, was, young, the young boys who reported it to their fathers or told their fathers as opposed to the guys who created the hoax? Exactly. The guys who created the hoax had vanished. And okay. they, only, they only surfaced the following January, or one of them did, when he tried to sell the story to a Pennsylvania magazine, to a Philadelphia magazine. Well, let me uh, break in here. Let me break sure. in here. We'll, we'll get back to this right after the break, but we have to take a, a break here quickly. Uh, if you have a chance, take a look at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and we will return momentarily. Hi everyone, Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. 
But the question has always been, how do you do it? Well, now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you. They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, this product is a real winner. To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www.x. ZBN.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today, Know the Name, Know the Person, or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Take a step back in time and discover old Florida cuisine at Marsh Landing Restaurant in Felsmere, Florida. Enjoy delicacies such as frog legs, gator tail, catfish, and swamp cabbage, or enjoy the more traditional cuisine such as hand-cut Angus steaks, ribs, and seafood. Join us for breakfast with a southern flair featuring sweet potato pancakes, biscuits and gravy, and much more. Planning a party? Marsh Landing's private dining rooms can accommodate groups from 8 to 80 people. While you visit, enjoy the historic pictures, artifacts, and stories that line the walls. Marsh Landing is truly a unique experience. Marsh Landing Restaurant, 44 North Broadway in historic downtown Felsmere. Or visit marshlandingrestaurant.com. Marsh Landing, Old Florida cuisine at its best. And as I promised, we are back with the naked truth. I mean a different perspective. Don't want to confuse you people out there. When we left, we were talking to David Halperin about the Glassboro 
New Jersey UFO landing in September of 1964. And he had just mentioned to us that one of the fellows surfaced, it disappeared in, in September, but he had resurfaced um, – in 1965 and trying to sell the story and the truth is about to come out. So, David, take it from the point where our friends surfaced. And the truth is uh, it was very, very sad truth for me because I was working on a monograph that this was going to be my UFO landing. Uh, but the sad truth was that he had been arrested for creating... The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232 a nuisance that he had tried to sell the story of how he'd hoaxed the landing uh, and somehow the word got to the police NICAP had a, a NICAP investigator had come you, I don't know if your audience remembers the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena we have mentioned that, it we have mentioned it several times in the course of the program so some of them are aware of NICAP. Uh, it was based in Washington, D.C. It was led for a time by Don Kehoe, and eventually in the 19, late 1970s, early 1980s, it kind of faded into oblivion. Um, so so he's, you had a NICAP investigator show up, and he... He was convinced it was real, that the, the Air Force had said it was a hoax. There was a couple of Air Force people came from McGuire Air Force Base in New Jersey, they said it was a hoax. The NICAP investigator called that absurd. And so I, I, I have to say I was in good company. <laughs> well, nobody, nobody blames you for thinking it's a hoax. And I remember as I began UFO investigations as a teenager myself, it suddenly dawned on me after a few years that every case I was investigating turned out to be an unidentified, and I thought, I'm doing something wrong, because they, they can't all be unidentified, and I went back and was able to identify some of them. And the other thing I, I wanted to say about the Glassboro case, I have seen a picture of what is a, a number of um, New, New Jersey state policemen crouching by that hole, looking down into it, published in a, not, a number of uh, publications. I'm sure you're aware of that photograph. I don't know that photograph, no. But I mean, I'm not in the slightest surprised. The police were quite sold on it, and they gave me a diagram, which I, I, I uh, scanned, and it, it, uh, I put it in my post on Glassboro, where the holes are made into a really symmetrical triangle. And it's only if you 
look at the measurements they give that you realize that the diagram is all wrong, that the holes weren't symmetrical at all. And I think they were just so convinced that there was really a, uh, a vehicle that was sitting on top of the ground that that distorted their perceptions. Did, did the young boys, the young fishermen, who were told that the guy had seen the thing land, did their story evolve into the idea that they had maybe seen it too, or were they no. just saying these guys told us it, that it landed there, here is the remains? Right. No, no, they never, never claimed to have seen it. They just reported what they had, what they had been told. And I don't think anybody's questioned that the little boys were telling the truth. Well, yeah, yeah. I was just making sure that, the, that their story hadn't expanded. No, so never. W w there was probably a chemical analysis done on the on the stuff they threw in the hold. Is was it anything interesting? Uh, was it radioactive? Supposedly, they use chemicals to make it seem radioactive. I don't know how 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 effective that was. They used. Let me see what what they said. Uh, sulfur, potassium, and radium dioxide. I guess that would make it seem radioactive. Well, I remember in the 1970s, 1960s, you could buy radium paint. And uh, I had a model of the submarine sea view from the old uh, journey, to the, journey to the bottom of the sea, voyage to the bottom of the sea. And I would bought some radium paint so I could paint the, the forward windows and stuff with the radium paint so it would glow in the dark. Um, so I guess that would be slightly radioactive, I suppose. I imagine so. But I'll tell you what I think is the really interesting thing about this. Though when I put up the blog post, I simply assumed that everybody in the world had forgotten about it, that I was the only human being on the planet who remembered Glassboro. But then I got a, an email from a lady who was living in Glassboro at the time, and she wrote about how the Air Force had come to town on September on the on September 5th, she says, I rem that was her birthday. She says, I remember that day like it was yesterday. The our street was closed. The Air Force was here. They came and knocked on our door and talked to my dad. And no, no traffic was allowed in or out. And we could not pull our cars out of the driveway for quite a while. Now, I am absolutely sure that didn't happen. Because I was there the, we the weekend afterward. I talked to the police. I had dinner with this family. I spoke with a, uh, repeatedly with the father of the two boys. No one mentioned any such thing. And I was trying to figure out where would these memories have come from? Because the woman, was, it's clear she was absolutely sincere. And then this morning, it struck me. That in June of 1967, a little bit less than three years later, Glassboro entered the history books when President Lyndon Johnson and Soviet Premier Alexei Kosygin had a summit meeting there. And there must have been strict security. And they, would have, and they would have closed roads. Yes. So I think that is the answer. I didn't write this to you when we exchanged emails because it didn't occur to me until this morning. But I think this woman, and she says that other people she knows who remember it also, telescoped 
the two events. I th- it sounds perfectly reasonable to me and reminds me of, a, of an interesting story. When I was uh, in the univers- at the University of Iowa, no, I was, after I graduated from the University of Iowa, I was assigned to the uh, 442nd Tactical Airlift Wing in Kansas City, Missouri um, as a, for, for active duty. And then when I, when I left the um, active duty, I was invited to join the wing the reserve side of the house. So I had uh, Air Force sticker on my car. There's the whole point of this. I had Air Force sticker on my car so I could drive in and out of base. And we went out to investigate some UFO sightings here in Iowa. And not long after that, there was a report on the radio about how the Air Force had been out to investigate this UFO landing in Story County, Iowa. And I am absolutely convinced somebody saw the sticker on the car. We were, in, of course, civilian clothes, plain clothes. And they, they were just convinced that we were Air Force officers out there investigating this case. And, of course, it's not true. It was me as a private citizen out there. I, my car just happened to have a sticker to allow me on Richard Gebauer Air Force Base. So uh, that's another way these things sort of get uh, expanded, you might say. Well, you, you wrote a fascinating piece. For the uh, International UFO Reporter. I don't remember the date, but I'm sure you remember it. It's called UFOs on Memory Lane. Yes, yes, yes. And that, I I was utterly fascinated by what you did with that. Well, that, and and, and for the the listening audience who's not familiar with this, that that is, of course, also on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And thank you for that opportunity to plug the blog once again. But what happened, it was a, a, a couple had been out near Palace, uh, Kepler Palisade State Park here in Iowa, and they had seen some UFOs floating down, they thought. And uh, the, the, the story was, you know, they'd seen the, these star-like things in the distance, and pretty soon the woman involved in that uh, was saying, that, well, she saw a craft with a dome on it. And within, within two or three weeks, she was talking about having seen a dome and two occupants. Uh, humanoid-type shapes in, in this dome. And um, I talked to the guy, and he said, I don't know where she's getting that. All we saw were these lights kind of floating down. So I went out to the, the area where they had seen this thing and parked my car about dusk when they had seen these things going in, and I realized what they were looking at were the landing lights going into the Cedar Rapids uh, Municipal Airport. And the thing was, with the wind blowing the other direction, you wouldn't hear that. And with their landing lights on, they did give the impression of floating down and disappearing into the trees. The police had investigated, and they said, well, there were no commercial flights into the airport at the time. But the the thing is, it's uh, general aviation was going in and out of it all the time. But I'd seen the exact same thing. So uh, she... I think had been so frightened by the experience that the light, just seeing the lights in the distance wasn't enough. And she eventually saw in her mind, and and she believed it to be the truth, a dome disc, and then these alien occupants uh, behind the dome disc. So that's the uh, story that that you were referring to, the the trip down memory lane. Do you have any theory as to why her, her, her friend remembered it accurately, but she didn't? I think it has to do with fright. I think it has to do with the whole thing. And, and, and the other interesting thing is nobody had really talked to him about it. She was, she was being talked to by, pe- by all kinds of UFO researchers and, and, and investigators and things like that. Uh-huh. And, and nobody talked to him. And so I called him up and he said, well, you're, you're the first guy that um, 
we ever that, that, that ever called me. And I had the drawings that they had made that night. And I had the drawings she'd made a week or so later and the drawings she made two or three weeks later. So I had it all. And I think the experience so frightened her that she had to, in her mind, create something that made it a little less frightening. And by seeing beings in the craft, it kind of mitigated the fright, I suppose. So that's wow. my theory. And I don't know if, if that's accurate or not, but that's kind of what I thought. Uh, but it wasn't... Um, it started out as just lights in the sky, and then it turned into a, a full-blown close encounter of the second kind, which means you see the craft close to the ground. I guess third kind because you see occupants. I don't know. Yes, yes. But uh, I, I'm surprised that you remember that. Well, I mean, that, that, uh, that, that, that article impressed me tremendously because I think that's near the crux of what we're dealing with. When we're dealing with UFOs, I think that problem of memory, and you know, you, you've written about this too, it has its fin- fingerprints all over Roswell. Oh, absolutely. There's, there's real problems with the Roswell case because of the way information was gathered and because of the time that had passed between the events and when, um, when the investigations began. So I think that there was a lot of that. And I know that there's some confabulation going on, which is to say that people, uh, witnesses would hear other witnesses' testimony and they would kind of incorporate it it into their own testimony. I think, um, oh, her name escapes me, um, the the woman who did the the studies on uh, um, memory and how you could subtly implant memories. Uh, And one of them, by asking the question, did uh, did you see the blue car? Implying there was a blue car there when there may not have been one. And, and then people say, well, we saw this blue car and that sort of thing. So we, we get a lot of that sort of thing going on. But I think that when we look at the whole of, of Roswell, there The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. There are some things that we can look at in the the sense that they are documented in the newspaper. So we know what people did and how things went down. And there's, there's some subtle documentation we can use to support some of this. And... We have to incorporate all of that in the investigation, just not the spectacular pieces of testimony that people give us, but all these other avenues that become very interesting when we look at, at a case. We're going to have to take a quick break here again, believe it or not. And when we come back, I think we're going to talk about uh, get away from Roswell and Glassboro if we can. And we'll talk a little bit about the... Um, the, your book, uh, Journal, Journal of a UFO Investigator. And as I say, you can take a look at his uh, website and his blog at www.davidhalperin.net. And um, I'll post more information about this on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And we will be back right after this. Hi everyone, Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. 
But the question has always been, how do you do it? Well, now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you. They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, this product is a real winner. To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www.x. ZBN.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, Soul Balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A Soul Balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. 
Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. And for you, for those of you keeping score at home, we are back once again. And I have to just mention one thing quickly. There's some uh, interesting byplay that goes on <laughs> between segments here. And this one has been a little bit weirder than most of them. And that was why we were talking about the naked truth. But we are really a different perspective. And I am here with David Halperin. He's the author of Journal of a UFO Investigator. And uh, you can take a look at his blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Try that again, www.davidhalperin.net would be his website and blog, not mine. Um, when we left, we were, we were talking a little bit about Roswell. I'm going to try to get away from that, even though I will mention that you can read the whole sordid tale of Roswell in my book, Roswell in the 21st Century, uh, which I think looks at the problems with the testimony that we have, the problems with the lack of real documentation other than some newspaper accounts, the lack of any diaries or letters anybody wrote at the time, and how some of the story kind of evolved into the super space spectacular that it has become. And so if you're interested in Roswell, my take on it, which I think is pretty much closest to the truth, then that might be the book you want to take a look at if you've got a real interest in Roswell. So... Uh, I know that we've we've kind of uh, exhausted Glassboro. For those who haven't been paying attention, it is a hoax. It's uh, obviously uh, the Air Force was right and NICAP was wrong, and I think that's one of the things I'll explore at my blog when I, I put up the, the link to this program so that you can get a little bit more about what NICAP had to say about it. So I thought maybe we'd go off into your novel, Journal of a UFO Investigator, which you said draws on your teenage dreams and uh, fantasies as well as uh, the UFO scene in the 1960s. So tell us a little bit about really kind of uh, the UFO scene in the 1960s as, you, as you've incorporated it into the book. Well, much of it is created by Gray Barker. And that, that Barker, I think, was the promoter of some of the legends that are were the most powerful let's, about let's, the UFOs. Let's, let's, let's take a moment here and, and point out that Gray Barker was um, a UFO researcher, a UFO enthusiast. Back in the 1950s, he wrote a book called They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. And I think he might have introduced the idea of the men in black into the UFO scene. So he was uh, quite a force in the UFO situation in the 1950s and early 1960s. So you were drawing on on his work into your journal of a UFO investigator. Yes, I mean, Albert Bender is a character. He never actually, and for, for those, of, those, those of your listeners who have not, uh, have not read Barker's book, Albert Bender was the Connecticut UFO researcher who in the fall of 1953 discovered the truth about the UFOs and was visited by three men in black who terrified him into silence. So he never revealed what the truth about the flying saucers was. No, never, never. Now, now, I, I, a few years ago, at least, he was still alive, which amazes me. He was in his nineties, and according to, to 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 Jerry Clark, 
uh, who I know has been on the program and who is an old friend of mine, that when people would ask Bender about what had happened to him back in 53, he would just be amazed that people were still interested, which suggests that whatever was going on there, it was no very explosive secret. But Barker turned it into this really haunting narrative of, uh, 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 of mysterious, sinister forces. And it came across just with tremendous plausibility. In any case, I was tremendously impressed by that as a kid. I think that was what got me into, uh, sparked my interest in UFOs. And well, you know, that, it's interesting you say that because I had kind of a similar experience with John Keel back in the 1960s because oh, I, I had written to him about the men in black. And he, he sent me a letter back and said, you know, the phenomenon is reflective. The more interest you uh, have in it, the more important it becomes and it sort of grows out of that. So I, I thought that was an interesting comment, especially about the men in black. So. Yeah, I mean, I think Keel was on to something really important, and that is that the UFO phenomenon is not something out there. It's a part of us. And whether there's also something out there or not is an, is an open question, but certainly the witness becomes part of the sighting. I think also the investigator becomes part of the sighting as well, because I've investigated sightings and I have been called by documentary producers and said we want to talk to you about blah 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 whatever the sighting happens to be and I say but I'm not the story the story is this person or that person and they went oh we want to talk to you so then the UFO investigator becomes the story as opposed to the witnesses being the story and and, it, then, and, it, and the, the debunker is part of the story yes because we have to have the other side of the uh, picture no matter how distorted the picture may be and the debunker is engaged with the UFO no less than the investigator, no less than the witness. It's just well, there's a negative sign attached to its to the energy rather than a positive one. And and I, I found that interesting that the debunkers seem to get into this as deeply, if not deeper, than some of the UFO researchers. And I'm thinking if you believe the phenomenon is unreal, if you believe there's nothing to it, and I think the phenomenon actually has multiple explanations, but if you think it's something unreal, why do you care what anybody else thinks about it? What What motivates you to work so hard to debunk this phenomenon? Exactly. And I think... That is part of the UFO mystery. What is it that summons sometimes the most vehement reactions, not only from believers, but from debunkers? I mean, I saw a, a, a clip, a video clip uh, a few months ago of Neil deGrasse Tyson discussing UFOs. And the man was twitching, gesticulating bellowing. Clearly, there was an immense emotional engagement with it. Yes, and we don't like him because he demoted Pluto to a dwarf planet. Although I always thought of Pluto as a Mickey Mouse little planet, but that's a whole other story. Yes, and I had a little stuffed Pluto I used to go to bed with when I was, when I was a child. That, I, I, I was hoping you were going to say back when I was 50, I had a little stuffed. 
I still have the little stuffed Pluto. I don't go to bed with him at the moment. But well, let's but let's kind of it. let's drag it back to a Journal of a UFO Investigator. Yes, yes. So you were fascinated by the Gray Barker tale and Albert yes. Bender's um, uh, his resignation from the field. And um, and another of Gray Barker's stories, which he promoted, was the uh, the Allende mystery, which we now know as the Philadelphia experiment. Yeah, Carlos Allende, I, I think that's been pretty well debunked as well. And this gives me another opportunity for those who would like to know about it. Take a look at uh, my blog and type in Allende or Carlos Allende in it, and you'll get a lot of information. I actually talked to one of the guys at the um, Office of Naval Research back when uh, back in the 1960s. Um, who had reproduced the Allende letters in the Varro edition of the book with all the notations in it. I, I, and, and, and I say that to you because I know ex you know exactly what I'm talking about. The audience may be lost. Uh, Allende allegedly sent a copy of a book called The um, Case for the UFO written by Morris K. Jessup to the Office of Naval Research and it had all these notations in it about uh, UFOs and things like that. And the story was the Navy was interested in it and did an investigation. When I talked to Sidney Sherby, who was one of the guys at the uh, Office of Naval Research when that came in, or Office of Naval Intelligence when that came in, he said, no, the Navy really didn't care, but we could do whatever we wanted with it as long as we didn't use Navy resources and do it on Navy time. So that's how the Varro manufactured uh, book came out. Uh, and, and you can find that with the notations in it now online. And I did an article for it in a magazine, and Allende saw the article, and I have a copy of the article now with all his notations about how wrong I am in these, in these places. But a fellow named uh, Robert Gorman, and I've tried to get him on the program to talk about this specifically, Robert Gorman uh, turned out he was doing an investigation of Allende's uh, case and discovered that Allende's parents, who really his last name was Alan, lived not that far from him. So he talked to them and they told him, yeah, he had had this habit of making this stuff up and being involved in all these things and note, writing notations on everything. You send him a birthday card, he'd write notations on it and send it back. Uh, but so it is a hoax. Yes, it is a hoax. So uh, I digress and I take the microphone away from you and I hand it back to you. So you were talking about Carlos Allende. Yeah, and, and it, it, it was a... I guess I would call it a hoax, but I'd rather call it a myth. Okay. And, okay. That, and it's a myth that has the most incredible resonance that you can still, I don't know, there's thousands upon thousands of Google searches today for the Philadelphia Experiment. I mean, that is not a bad accomplishment for a penniless drifter. And, and the interesting thing is, um, it, Al Blalick, who claimed to have been part of the Philadelphia experiment uh, in, in later incarnations, uh, had actually stayed with Brad Steiger a number of times. And we're hoping to get Brad Steiger on the program to talk about these sorts of things. And, and Brad Steiger said that, unfortunately, he came to realize, even though it was a fascinating story, he was a fascinating guy, uh, it just simply wasn't true. But the truth is that the story is fascinating, and we should ask why. And when I was, and bring, go back to the early 60s, that, remember, I, I didn't know any of these things. I took a, I really thought those annotations had been written by three mysterious gypsies. And that was the mindset that I was going back in, the Journal of a UFO, in Journal of a UFO Investigator. Do you do you relate these stories in some detail in the, in yeah, the book? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? That, and, yeah that, that 
the, the story of Journal of the UFO Investigator is the, fundamentally autobiographical. A teenage boy whose mother is slowly dying and who becomes persuaded that UFOs are real and who constructs a world for himself from the materials of the UFO mythology as it existed in the early 60s. With one difference, I cheated. I, ins I put Roswell in. And you know as well as I do that nobody in the 60s would even have heard of Roswell. But well, actually, very important for me to actually, do actually, uh, Frank Edwards in his books Flying Saucer Serious Business, which came out I think '65 or '66, actually does mention Roswell. Yeah, he, that's, I think yeah. And he gets yeah, everything I, wrong. Right. He gets everything wrong, other than there was a crash, uh, and it was in Roswell. But but he gets everything else wrong. So. But I included the the the, the bodies found, which nobody had even heard of then or at least most of us ufologists. But it was very important for me because my aim was to try to, to tell the story of how a lonely boy coping with an unspeakable reality creates for himself a world built out of these elements. Now, in doing that, I mentioned in my... Well, when I sent you the email, I mentioned dreams. When I, I remember this clearly, okay, we, we know that. Well, we're going to, let me break, let me break in here before we get off on this tangent because we're going to have to take our final break here. We'll come back and talk about the dreams. You can find the book if you want to, Viking, Viking Press, Journal of a UFO Investigator. Take a look at the blog, www.davidhalperin.net. Um, and I will put up more information about this at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. We will return right after this with more of a different perspective. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365.
O'Helvey, founder president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? I'm Dr. Kimberly McGeorge, and on The Secret to Everything, we will merge the practical with open investigation into all realms of the mysterious. We will talk to cutting-edge alternative health practitioners, those who inspire and motivate you in business and life, and of course, we will share stories of the paranormal, conspiracy, and cryptozoology. You will transform because of the frequency I carry, the frequencies my guests carry. Life may never be the same after you listen to this program. For the secret to everything is for you, the listener. For those who desire more in every area of their lives and believe that it can still be found. Listen and discover thesecrettoeverything.com. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500 plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. And we have returned to a different perspective. I am the host, Kevin Randall. And if you're interested in these sorts of topics, take a look at uh, xzbn.net or uh, take, take a look at the X-Zone uh, Broadcast Network website and you can listen to other programs by other hosts and more of a different perspective as well. I am joined once again with David Halperin, whose uh, blog, you can find his blog at www.davidhalperin.net. There's a lot of good information that you can find on, on his uh, website. We were talking about a journal of a UFO investigator, and he was talking about his teenage dreams and uh, when I had to break in and take a break. So we will start from that. You were going to say about dreams. Yes, I remember this from when I was about 14 or 15, that I dreamed that I was at a big rambling house out in the country, uh, for the, uh, a, a meeting for a group of select teenagers like myself who were interested in exploring the edges of science. And I remembered there was 
a boy with fairly close-cropped blonde hair wearing a jacket and a tie as I was, and there was a beautiful blonde in an evening dress. And then I woke up. That was my dream. When I wrote Journal of a UFO Investigator, I asked, well, what would have happened if I hadn't woken up? And the story unspools from there that the girl whose name, the, the hero is named Danny. The, he's a, a boy, I think he's 13 or 14. The girl was a little bit older and incomparably more experienced. She's actually quite a, an accomplished seductress and thief. And she gets Danny to agree to come down to Florida to try to break the, for the, so they can break into MK, Morris K. Jessup's old house. And Morris K. Jessup was the writer of uh, uh, The Case for the UFO, which relates back to the Allende letters. To see if they can find the annotated book, the annotated copy of The Case of the UFO that Rochelle tells Danny how she was there when they found Jessup's body in the car in the park in Coral Gables. And we have to point out Morris K. Jessup committed suicide, allegedly committed suicide, I think in 1959, um, by, by running a, a hose from the tailpipe of his car into, into the passenger compartment. And uh, Rochelle's boy, sometime boyfriend, Tom, who's the boy with the close-cropped hair, points out that he committed suicide. Rochelle says, no, he did not commit suicide. He was murdered. And she gets Danny to come down to Florida to to help her find the book. So and, it, is, is he, I mean, is the book mainly about uh, the Allende letters and the, and the things associated with it, or does it go off into other ufological tangents? Yes, it, uh, it, it goes off into lots of ufological stuff, but the thread is Danny and what this means to him, because we are reminded periodically that Danny is coming up with this story in order not to know that his mother is dying. And what are some of the other ufological cases you touch on? Well, let's take it that he shows up, he drives down with a, with a, an older boy who's a mentor. They drive down to Miami, and the older boy leaves him in the Miami airport to meet Rochelle, who's coming in from New Mexico. And she doesn't show up. And as... As he's waiting for her, that 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 her flight empties, no, she's not there, and he hears an announcement: Albert Bender, meet your party at the at at the baggage claim. Albert Bender, meet your party at the baggage claim. And of course, Albert Bender is the man who was silenced by the three men in black. Danny goes down to the baggage claim. And there he find, first notices, but doesn't pay too much attention, to three men who are, to two men, sorry, there are two men, the third shows up later, who are clearing away some of the unclaimed suitcases 
wearing black uniforms. So we've and now we've got now the men in black in this thing as well. We got the men in black, and then when they Danny tries to, Danny finds a suitcase with Rochelle's name on it, tries to walk off with it. The two men accost him. What are you doing with that suitcase? And they take him to an office where there's a third man and wearing the same uniform, go through the suitcase, and they find all sorts of receipts inside the suitcase for, um, for motels and for rent-a-car from Albuquerque and from Roswell. So we've got that there, too. So we've, we've, we've sucked Roswell into the 1960s, is what you're saying. We've sucked Roswell into the 1960s. And I won't tell you what happens after that. Because you would like people to go out and buy the book. Well, I'm afraid it is no longer in print. Is it, is it available on Amazon? It is available on Amazon. And at this point, I would very much like people to read the book and to get in touch with me through, the, through my website when they read it and let me know what they think about it. And that would be www.davidhalpern.net for those of you who have not been paying attention (laughs) about that. Uh, So in the book, you've you've incorporated some ufological history and ufological mythology so you can get sort of a background on what was some of the early stuff going on in the UFO field? I think you can get a feel for it. I mean, it's not... I, 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 I've not tried for strict historical accuracy. I mean, you, that the book treats it, uh, that, that, that in the novel, I treat it as if those three gypsies actually existed. And that they have some relation to the three men in black. Now, you and I know that they never existed, that Carl Allen, for some reason that, that I've never been able to understand, wrote his annotations in three different handwritings and three different colors of ink. I mean, which is, is a difficult trick to do, but I think the man was a genius. Well, he often take, took credit for writing the book with Morris K. Jessup, so uh, he would say, he would, he would talk about the book he wrote with Jessup, which is uh, his annotations in the book. And, and, and just to be clear for people to understand, uh, Morris K. Jessup did write a book. He did believe in UFOs. The book did go to the Office of Naval Research, I guess, and uh, was looked at by two officers in the Navy, but the Navy itself didn't care about the book. And now in 2017, we realize that it was a hoax. One of the things he talked about was this disappearance of an aircraft into in the Andes in 1947, 1948, the star. Stardust, I believe, was the name of the aircraft, and it was very mysterious. They were supposedly within sight of the uh, airport in Santiago, Santiago, Chile, and supposedly disappeared. Uh, many, many years later, I think around 2000, and again, this is on my blog, so you can take a look at it to, to, to get all the details. They found the remains of the aircraft, and they had flown into a mountain. They had assumed they were close to Santiago. They had sent them messages over the radio that they were close to Santiago, and then they crashed into a mountain. The aircraft has been found, it's been identified, and the bodies have been recovered. So we know that that part of the story, uh, the annotations in the book, um, are untrue, uh, because we know what happened to the airplane. Yes, it's clear now that there were no, there were no great mysteries to be revealed. 
I mean, the, the, that <laughs> I, I, I'm going to insert a plug now for my own blog, the uh, DavidHalperin.net. That several a few a few years ago, I put up a whole series of posts on the Philadelphia experiment that I had spent a week reading the 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 Barker Allen correspondence in the Gray Barker collection at uh, Clarksburg, West Virginia, and I found out all sorts of stuff about Allen as a human being. And I mean, Robert Gurman certainly pegged it, pegged it perfectly. The one thing, by the way, I did not know was that Allen, in his old age, was happy in his last years. Well, that's good. Well, we're going to have to we're going to have to break it off here, even though this is fascinating. I've enjoyed this conversation more than I've joined some of them in the past. Let me thank you for coming on the program. Well, thank um, you for having me. The book was the book is a journal of a UFO investigator. You can find more about it at www.davidhalpern.net, and more of it on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I wanted to take a moment here because something happened today that I wanted to talk about, and that was I was watching a program, and I I saw a preview for a time travel adventure on Fox Network. I have. I don't know what the um, name of the program is. I just caught a little bit of it. But it struck me there are three time travel programs on network television now. There's Timeless on NBC. There is Time After Time on ABC. And now this thing coming up on um, Fox. And I've been fascinated by time travel. And I've often wondered if time travel isn't the explanation for the uh, some of the UFO events. And I wanted to bring that up simply because I had done a science fiction novel, and I started it in college, called On the Second Tuesday of Next Week. And it's a time travel story about what uh, happens when a uh, alien invaders come into the solar system, and we have a big battle out in space by Pluto, by the way, and how... Uh, people keep going back and forth, changing the events so that they can come out the victors in this great battle in space. So I thought I'd just mention that, that uh, you might want to take a look at on a second on the second Tuesday of next week, uh, which you can find as an ebook on Amazon.com. We will be back next week with Lauren Hunter, who is a Minnesota ufologist, and talking to her. And you can find more information about what we've talked about today at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And we will be back after our 167-hour hiatus uh, next week.